Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, pastor at Out of Ashes Ministries, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana. I hope you are doing fabulously well, and I hope that your week is going well. I really hope that your families are well, and uh, great to be with you all uh, today as we approach Passover, uh, only a couple of weeks away. and quickly approaching, and I've been telling our folks here at OAM ever since Sukkot, uh, especially since Hanukkah, um, don't blink because Pesach's going to be here before you know it. And uh, so if you're one of those procrastinators and you have waited to start getting together things for Pesach and start getting your uh, ducks in a row, as it were, for Pesach, um, it's here. So uh, I hope that you are prepared and are ready for this beginning of the holidays. We celebrated the first of Nisan just over the weekend and uh, the beginning of the beautiful uh, Moedim and um, hope you are ready and are prepared. Uh, just want to say a quick thank you to everybody for joining us. Uh, if it's your first time listening, I uh, hope that you stick around for the whole of the conversation and I hope it's one that encourages you and maybe even challenges you a little bit. Uh, also, if it's your first time um, Stopping by, I just want to invite you. Uh, many of you probably have congregations, uh, Sabbath congregations, or someplace where you can meet uh, for Shabbat. But if you uh, and if you do, uh, that's great. I, I'm I'm thankful. So many Sabbath congregations are are around for people to meet. Uh, but if you meet at a different time, uh, we live stream our Shabbat services every Shabbat at 10 a.m. Central. So. Um, you can find us live on our website at outofashesministries.org uh, and under the live tab. And uh, we also simulcast to Facebook and to YouTube. So any of those places you can find us. Um, we also have a, a pretty active chat on Facebook uh, comment section. So feel more than free to, to drop by and say Shabbat Shalom and tell us where you're watching from. We always love to hear from you guys and gals. And um, so, yeah, we'd love for you to, to hang out with us on Shabbat. If you if you do or don't have a congregation, whatever your situation is, um, we we open our arms and extend a welcome to you and uh, to come by and hang out with us virtually. We have a wonderful and growing online family, our online mishpaka, as we call it. And um, we'd love for you to check it out and to be a part of that. Uh, for those of you that are longtime listeners, I just want to say thank you guys for sticking around and building a great community. Uh, I apologize for the episodes being a little uh, random lately, not new ones necessarily every week. Um, we have new baby lambs. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, we have a small uh, flock of sheep, and uh, I was expecting lambs around the week of Pesach, uh, the the week of uh, unleavened bread, and um, half of my moms decided to come early, and so we were in the process of building a barn and getting things ready, and uh, so it's been a lot of long, long days 
to get things in order. Um, and uh, we have one mom that had twins and uh, rejected one of the twins. And so we've been bottle feeding every four hours. And uh, so, yeah, so just a lot going on. So please forgive me for um, for being inconsistent the last few weeks. Uh, we are going to get back on regular schedule here uh, around Pesach. So uh, I think all of that is out of the way. Let us go before the Father and just bless him for our time together before we jump into this week's episode together. Avinu Shabbat Shemayim, our Father that's in heaven. We are so incredibly grateful and thankful for your faithfulness, for your fidelity to us, for keeping us, for holding us, for teaching us, for giving us permission to explore and be creative and ask good questions. We love you, Father, and we enjoy our time together today. So, beings that Pesach is upon us, um, I wanted to talk this week and probably next week uh, about just Pesach as an idea, the Passover and the Exodus as an idea. We're not uh, we're not necessarily going to get into the the Seder and the the laws of Hametz and all those kinds of things um, necessarily, but I want to talk about Pesach as an idea. Uh, a friend, actually Kyle Sylvester, who most of you guys will know from watching our live stream or from even uh, hearing IBR, uh, he's a, a vast reader. He reads all the time. I am not. <laughs> and so um, he, he comes across great stuff all the time. And both one of he and I's uh, favorite authors is Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory. And uh, uh, Kyle gave me this book uh, this last week called Ceremony and Celebration. An Introduction to the Holidays, and I've just read the section on Pesach, but it is phenomenal. So I would encourage anyone who's listening, um, of course it has fantastic endorsements and all that kind of stuff. If you know anything about Rabbi Sachs, um, he was a, um, a scholar, a, a rabbi, a theologian, uh, and a philosopher, and just uh, the total package of kind of what every uh, preacher, pastor, leader should strive to be. Uh, I can't remember who I heard say this, but uh, a few months ago was was listening to maybe a podcast or an interview or something, and they were talking about how uh, ministry vocations have become very specialized, and how many times you know pastors aren't necessarily. Uh, dedicated to biblical scholarship and study, um, they're you know they're they're taking on roles of care, uh, <clears throat> you know marrying, burying, counseling, that kind of thing, and uh, looking back to some of even in the Christian tradition, some of our our Spurgeons and some of those type of guys who were um, a little less on the care side probably, but uh, they were theologians who preached the Word of God. Uh, they weren't just preachers who picked a couple scriptures and gave you three points and a nice thought. These men were, uh, they were, they were, they were scholars. They were studiers. They were students of the Word of God, 
and um, and they they were they were theologians and they were philosophers in a lot of ways. And I know philosophy kind of gets a bad rap because we think about Greece and we think about you know humanism and all that kind of stuff. But um, philosophy is a big part of theology. And so anyway, uh, Rabbi Sachs was uh, that man, and his writing is, uh, while it's deep and while it's profound, it is pretty readable. Uh, like I said, from a guy who I'm not an expert reader, uh, I don't necessarily never have, even as a kid, never enjoyed reading necessarily. I'm more of an audio, audio visual type of person, um, but... Uh, his writing is easy and even for me to read. So, so for those of you out there who are uh, who are expert readers and love to read, uh, you, I think you'll find his, his anything he's written uh, is very very uh, approachable. And uh, I do have uh, one of my favorite uh, kind of prized uh, possessions is uh, the Corin Sachs Sidor. Uh, he did a commentary and introduction on the Corin uh, Sidor. And the introduction he does on prayer is absolutely breathtaking. So anyway, uh, I'll stop fanboying over Rabbi Sachs. But I want to talk today about Passover as protest. And a lot of this is going to come from from what I'm reading from uh, Rabbi Sachs. But um, it's really challenging me a lot to think about as we celebrate Passover, um, what kind of uh, baggage do we bring into it? What kind of meaning, I mean, as far as baggage, as far as what does it mean? And do we look at Pesach and the the beginning of Israel's story, which would result in the Torah, right, being given um, and the formation of a new society? Do we, do we look at all of that as a whole or do we as, you know, uh, Torah pursuant non-Jews, do we tend to see Pesach as an individual thing? Even we know it was the the birth of the nation, do we still see it as an in, in an individual way? Uh, because we tend to be in our traditions very individualistic. Um, so you know the, we might say that you know uh, things about the church, but really it's about me and it's about my family, it's about you and about your family, and we tend to be less uh, uh, kingdom minded as far as less uh, nationalistic uh, for the kingdom in our ways of thinking about how God deals with with us. And so I, I want to talk again today about Passover as protest. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I, I want to read this opening. I'm going to read several sections from, from this part of uh, the book. Uh, again, it's called Ceremony and Celebration, Introduction to the Holidays. But uh, Rabbi Sachs begins this section on Pesach, and he says, Pesach is the oldest and most transformative story of hope ever told. It tells of how an otherwise undistinguished group of slaves found their way to freedom from the greatest and longest lived empire of their time, indeed of any time. It tells the revolutionary story of how the supreme power intervened in history to liberate the supremely powerless. It is a story of defeat of probability by the force of possibility. It defines what it is to be a Jew a living symbol of hope. And so, of course, Rabbi Sachs is, is Jewish. He's writing this to a Jewish audience predominantly or writing it for, uh, you know, the, the, the cause of the Jewish people. And what I, what I do when I read stuff like this is I think, yes, absolutely. 
it is the I love that that phrase he says uh, what it is to be a Jew the living symbol of hope and I I I love that I think that's absolutely beautiful um, of course being an individual and being from an individualistic background the next question I ask is well what about me right because I'm not a Jew so what about me and so to broaden that. Um, anyone who attaches themselves to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, we do that, of course, through Yeshua, the one who draws us near and, uh, and binds us to the Father. Um, and we are not replacing Judah. We are not replacing the Jewish people, but as an extension, as, a, as an extension of the family, right? And uh, so it, it, this is a, a beautiful introduction and something that I think that we – we need to be careful not to lose um, in in wanting to get things right and wanting to do things correctly, which is incredibly admirable and should be the spirit that we all have. But in wanting to do things correctly and wanting to do them right, we need to be careful not to lose the wonder of the story of the Exodus, the wonder of the story of Pesach. Um, that you know, I know for for congregations, for for the ladies of the of the house, especially Passover can be. Um, can be really stressful sometimes, especially when you're learning and you're growing in your in your halakha and you know in how you celebrate. Uh, maybe you're changing things from year to year, and it can be pretty stressful um, for men. I'm not going to let you off the hook either. Uh, leading the seder, leading the blessings, you know, the pressure to teach your children and to to answer them uh, in a way that makes sense to them um, that can be really stressful. And in, in all of that, I, I hope that we never lose the wonder of what Pesach is and what this what this celebration and this um, you know this this season teaches us about who God is and, and about what his his thoughts are uh, to you know towards us. Um, you know Pesach it, it it's it's a protest. Uh, in several ways, and and it's a protest against empire. We, if you listen to our Genesis series, um, we've done a lot, a lot of teaching on em, the 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 concepts of empire and shalom, right? Empire being that uh, oppressive, minimalizing. Uh, you know, there's the loss of human dignity, slavery, um, oppression, all of those things, dehumanization. Uh, that being empire, the 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 ability for man to rule over other human beings at any cost, subjugation, demoralization, um, and that being what we call empire, versus the idea of shalom, which is the idea of the kingdom, which is equality and freedom and liberty and justice, true justice and righteousness and holiness, right? Unity, um, value, honor—all those beautiful things that we that we all hope to receive—that uh, we we want for everyone else. And so, this idea of empire and shalom is really kind of at the heart of what Rabbi Sachs is talking about, and what I what I want to kind of expound on, uh, talking about uh, Pesach as protest, right? So, the the idea that in empire. Uh, the strength in empire lies in well in Egypt, you know. But for for the ancient Israelites, the strength of the Egyptian empire um, is really in in their horses and chariots and their armies, 
and the idea that Pharaoh is God, right? Uh, and and the the statues and the monuments, the pyramids, the you know all these things speak to that idea that that Pharaoh is God and that he should be feared, and that he's going to make decisions um, with with no seeming reason, and they have to be followed at at uh, you know at the consequence of death just because he he made them and this idea that you you as a human being do not have any say even over your own life you can be treated however you however the whim of the leader you know is to treat you and these kinds of things and this idea that the torah itself that is given after the exodus is is about a simpler way of life and i think that's a really important lesson for us today um, that life is not simple for us today, and we're not dealing with you know slavery. Most of you are not slaves. I'm not a slave, Brukashim. Um, we're not you know oppressed by any foreign nation. Some of you may feel like we we're oppressed by our own government, and that is something we'll talk about. If not this week, maybe next week. Um, but this this idea that life can be simple. You know, I think about. Um, just all the the chaos that we have here in in our current day, right? So we're 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 trying to come out of COVID, and yet some, you know, some leaders, governments, whatever, are just trying to hold on to it at any you know at any cost. And every once in a while, they'll roll out Dr. Fauci to scare everybody with another you know statistic or something silly and whatever. And I, I'm not downplaying COVID. I I know several people who have lost uh, loved ones, lost their own lives over it. I'm not downplaying it. Uh, I'm saying what the effect and the toll of how we've treated it um, has been very chaotic, and it's been very um, uh, it's 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 been, it's put us off kilter. And for two years, you know, I don't know about you, but to me, it seems like this last two years has gone by in in like a day or two. Uh, it just seems so fast, and yet this nation has been fundamentally changed in the last two years. Um, I heard a uh, report today about uh, Apple, that company Apple. Uh, their CEO Tim Cook uh, is, uh, is is wants everyone to start coming back into the office one day a week. Um, to start one day a week, and then to progress by the end of May, I think it is, to three days a week. And employees are threatening to quit. They're threatening to, you know, all this stuff um, because they're working from home. And that's become the, you know, that's become the, the expectation. That's become the default position that uh, we can be as productive from home. And so the, my point is that what that does, though, is that separates and divides us from each other. Um, you know, yeah, go, listen, going to work at Apple or Google or some of these other big places um, I have a brother that used to work in in the uh, kind of the tech sector in Dallas, uh, north of Dallas, and I remember going to his office as a younger, you know, as a teenager, and I mean, even back in the '90s, it was like, I mean, it was like amazing how beautiful these offices were, and they had coffee shops, and they had lounge spaces, and they had you know parks there at the office, you know, little little private parks. I mean, it just it was it was just incredible how nice it was and but but this pandemic stuff has created um an isolation to us that people don't even want to go into these beautiful lavish offices anymore we want to work from home and and then we have the thing with ukraine and we have the stuff with the border and we have just all this chaos 
And I think often, I have been thinking often about, um, you know, my parents, my, I'm the last of six, so my parents are a little older. Uh, my dad's 82, my mom's uh, 80 this year. And I think about them and their parents, my grandparents, that lived out in a, you know, the country in a rural area in, you know, in South Louisiana. And I think about what they knew and how they lived their day-to-day lives. Because right now, uh, in our day-to-day lives, we can literally see war happening live on our phones in the privacy of our own home. Um, you can watch war happening on a, on a device you hold in your hand. And for their generations, um, they just didn't have access, right, to the information. So in, so as a product, their lives tended to be simpler not that they didn't have struggles and stresses, and I mean, they had other challenges, of course, but they focused on their here and now. They, they, their minds weren't consumed with what was going on across the world, maybe except for World War II, World War I and II. But in general, they weren't concerned with what was happening, every little thing. Oh, well, there was an earthquake in here, and there was a tsunami here, and there was a, you know, a terrorist attack there, and there every little thing. Uh, you know, somebody said something offensive, you know, in you know England or in China or whatever. They just weren't their minds and their emotions and their their just they weren't filled with all of this this stuff, this information. I'm not going to call it junk because it is important to some people, but. They just weren't corroded with all this constant information. They were worried about living here and now and, and their day and, and making, you know, making a living and, and providing food for their families and, and their neighbors and those in their own house. And, you know, I, you see these things all over on social media all the time about, uh, you know, a, a, a mom and dad sitting with their, their kids watching TV and mom and dad are on the phone. And I'm guilty of that. My wife and I are guilty of that as well. And, you know, and, and you, we, we're together, but we're not together. And, and it just wasn't like that in the generations past. It was a simpler time. And I know every generation says it was a simpler time, right, about the last generation. But, uh, but it truly has gotten more and more uh, busy. Our minds have, uh, have gotten more corroded with information and access. And, and it, it changes us. It changes us. And so the, the idea of the Exodus and Pesach as a protest, I think one of the things it's a protest against is it's a protest against the empire in that way, in the way that empire changes us and forces us um, to think about things that we don't want to think about, that we don't need to think about, that we couldn't help if we tried, you know, that, that we just don't need that extra thing. It, the, the Torah and the, the Pesach as an introduction to the Torah is, is based on humility in the, in the presence of God, you know, the God of creation, and thinking about the wonder and, and going outside and looking at, looking at, at, at the trees and the, the birds and the sky and, and hearing the insects and, you know, being, being wet by the rain and, and those things and just being humble in the presence of the God of all creation. Um, it, it's also about a simple trust in, in, in the God of redemption, and and history, and this idea that we can lose hope so quickly if we're faced with all this stuff, if we're constantly corroded by all of this information, 
Uh, and and the information is not not good most of the time, right? Most of the time, the stuff that we're lambasted with is you know is war and death and you know violence and all this stuff. But just a simple belief and trust in in God's redemptive power and looking at that through history, um, a, a sense of the non negotiable sanctity of human life created by God in His image. Um, you know, no matter what the background or the persuasion or whatever, we've lost the sense of just the sanctity of what it means to be a human being, an image bearer of Hashem, and and just the the preciousness in the breath of every life of every human of every soul. No matter what we, no matter what how we judge or how we discern or how we think about them. The, the sanctity, everything has become so cold and technical, and we've forgotten what it means to be humans together. And, and that's, that's part of what empire does. It subjugates and it minimalizes. So as we get on into the next episode, we're going to talk about four areas where Rabbi Sachs draws this out, and I think in a beautiful way. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. everybody. Welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. So continuing our talk about Passover, excuse me, Pesach as protest. That's a little harder to say than you might imagine. Give it a try. Um, I want to read four ways that uh, Rabbi Sachs has has delineated um, that what Passover is the central, is the center of Israel's story. It's the center of the Jewish existence and by extension, I think we it would help us to think of it as the center of our existence, as those attached to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he he begins this statement by saying that Pesach is more than simply one festivals one festival among others um, in the calendar, more even than the anniversary of Israel's birth as a free people setting out on its journey to the Promised Land. Uh, and then he, he goes on to talk about four ways that um, that Pesach is central to Israelite being and understanding and what the purposes of it was. And I think this is beautiful, and that's why we're talking about it. <laughs> All right, so he says, first, uh, close examination shows us that the Torah narrative of Genesis from Avraham to Yaakov is a series of anticipations of the Exodus focusing our attention on and heightening our anticipation of what would eventually take place in the days of Moshe. So it, this is fascinating because I never saw some of these things. And uh, again, I'm not a careful reader, super careful reader. So I have to rely on other people that are smarter than me to kind of bring some of this stuff out. Um, but this idea that Avram is or Avram is told to leave his people right and to go to a place that Hashem uh, will show will show him and so he does that right he leaves immediately and goes where to the land of Canaan right and he no sooner gets to Canaan and what happens there's a famine so he goes where 
He goes to Egypt. Ah, to Egypt, right? So there are some parallels here before between Abraham's story and the Israelite story, and I think this is really interesting. So um, in Genesis 12.10, uh, it tells of Abram that there was a famine in the land. And in Genesis 45.6, it tells of the Israelites for two years, now there has been a famine in the land. Uh, so Abraham went down to Egypt, and in Numbers 20, it tells us that our forefathers went down into Egypt to live there for a while. Abraham went to live for a while, and Genesis 47, 4 says, we have come to live here a while. It's, it's, it's fascinating. It's almost word for the story's word for word. Um, because there was a severe famine in Abraham's day and in Israel's day as well. Um, then we get into uh, Abraham's uh, discussions and issues with uh, the king, and, and in Genesis twelve twelve, he tells Sarah, they will kill me, but will let you live. So Abraham, as the husband, as the man, will be killed, excuse me, but his wife, Sarah, uh, female, will be let, will, will live. And Exodus one twenty two it says, every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. I never saw that. I thought that was such a cool connection. Um, and then it says, the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues in Genesis 12. And then, of course, we have the ten plagues and the Exodus story. Also in Genesis 12, it says Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men that they send him out on his way. In Exodus 12, the Torah tells us that the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. And then finally, in Genesis 13, Avram became uh, very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. And, of course, we know that the Israelites, were they, they brought out of Egypt gold and silver and riches, right? And uh, there's many uh, references to that. One given here is Psalm 105, 37. So this idea that the Torah foretold, we can see it as foretelling, giving us these clues that this was going to happen. Um, Secondly, uh, remembering that, quote, that you were once slaves in Egypt is the single most frequently invoked reason for the commands. And I think that I just thought this was brilliant. The Exodus was not not just an event in history, though it was an event in history. It forms an essential part of the logic of the Torah law. So over and over and over, right, Hashem says, you were slaves in Egypt. You were slaves in Egypt. You were slaves in Egypt. Over and over and over. And he gives that as the reason for the various commands, and it's not always the same commands. And so I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later, if not this week. We'll get to it next week. Um, thirdly, key elements of the Torah law and faith are best understood as a protest against and alternative to the Egypt of the pharaohs, even where Torah does not state this explicitly. Knowledge of that ancient world gives us fresh insights into why Judaism is as it is. And this is kind of, this is kind of the section that I that really lit me on fire um, that I think is really fascinating. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And fourthly, and lastly, sustained meditation on the contrast between Egypt and the society the Israelites were called on to create reveals a fundamental choice that civilizations must make then, now, and perhaps for all time. There is nothing antiqua- uh, antiquarian about the issues Pesach raises: slavery, freedom. Politics, power, state, society, human dignity, and responsibility. These are as salient today as they were in the days of Moshe. Pesach can never be obsolete. 
Ah, okay. So number three and four is really what got me. Um, really, what what got me, got me on fire about Pesach and thinking about it in a different way this year. So the let's talk about numbers two, three, and four. So number two, he's talking about this idea that the repetition of because you were slaves, and this idea that this is a reason for the commands, and this. This whole thing we think about Pesach and the way we conceptualize it, again, maybe from a very individualistic standpoint, which is, I'm not, I'm not um, saying that we shouldn't think about it individually. I mean, even the sages of Israel think, you know, say that uh, at the Seder, during Pesach, everyone should, you know, should put themselves as if they were, you know, at the original Exodus. So it is an individual thing. It is a family thing. But it's also a national thing, and that's something that's hard for us to grab and, and to wrap our minds around. And so this this idea that, as as Rabbi Sachs says it, uh, the journey to the promised land had to pass through Egypt because Israel was to construct a society that would be the antithesis of Egypt. And so here's where we really start to develop that idea of empire and shalom, right? So they had to... They, he wanted Israel to build a society that was that was the protest, the antithesis, the opposite, the other alternative um, to and against Egypt. But in order to do that, they had to know Egypt. They had to understand what it was like to be a slave. They had to know what it was like to be demoralized, to be dehumanized, to be to be not free to express themselves, not free to make their own decisions, to set their own schedules, to to live according to their own value system. They had to know what that was like because and, and before that they they were they were just Israelites and it's 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 a human nature thing. This is where like philosophy plays a really big part in theology as the reasons of God and the reasons of men. And this idea that we um, we we don't understand things unless we are put in a certain situation. We can't contextualize things, and we can't. Um, sometimes we're not uh, encouraged to act unless we face an adverse situation. For instance, right? And and on, and so some of you um, you are business owners, maybe. And I can say I can definitely speak to this as a pastor. Um, maybe you're a business owner and you've worked for people before and you probably have learned some things from them. But as one of my, uh, pastors that I used to work for told me, uh, very early on, he said, you will learn some things from me, but the most important things you will learn from me is what you don't want to be. And at the time, you know, as a 20 something year old young guy, just, you know, on fire and full of zeal for God and not a lot of wisdom, I thought, well, that's kind of weird. You know, it's kind of a weird thing to say. Why would you say that? And yet I think that's a lesson that all of us have taken from employers, from mentors, from even from our parents. I think this is a big dynamic in the parent-child relationship, right? Um, how many of our of us grew up, you know, through our teenage years and 20s maybe and think, you know, well, I'll never be like that. You know, we don't value the things that our parents are as a young person. We tend to, to stress the things that they're not and the things that we don't want to be like them. And yet most of us end up being like them in the end. 
And I think that's that's part of the dynamic that's at play here is God wanted Israel to create a counter narrative to a protest to Egypt. And they wouldn't know Egypt unless they lived through Egypt. They wouldn't they wouldn't understand what God was really calling them to build and to do unless they had seen the other side. And the 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 human experiment, the, the human part of this is to ask the question, well, are they going to end up becoming like Egypt anyway? And that's part of the story. That's part of the 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 question and the narrative arc that as a as a human, not even as a scholar, you don't have to be a scholar to pick up on this, but just it's just a question I've never asked of the story. But knowing myself, it's something I should have known inherently to ask of the story. Because I remember having those conversations with myself and telling myself, I'll never be like my dad. I'll never be like this or my mom. I'll never be like, you know, whatever. I'll never be like this. I can't stand this about them and my family and whatever and blah, 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 blah. And then I also remember the time, the times when I've said things and it's been like the voice of my father coming through, out of my lips, right? You, you guys all know what I'm talking about. You know, it's like you, the things that you hated most, you know, the, the sayings, the attitudes, the whatever about your parents, all of a sudden one day you find yourself doing something and it's that. <laughs> and, and so just as a human journey, this thing that God sent Israel through the crucible of Egypt, through the, the tutor of Egypt, as to show them what not to be and what to create an alternative to. And yet the question that looms is, are they going to end up being Egypt anyway? For instance, Egypt we talked about is all about armies and power and wealth. And, and you know, that's what empire is about because all those things are control mechanisms. And we find, you know, sadly under King Solomon, what ends up happening? You know, there's Torah commandments about a king not, you know, a king is not supposed to have a bunch of gold and silver. That's not what the king of Israel is supposed to do. Um, that, you know, he's not supposed to have many horses. In other words, a big army and things like that. And all these are commandments in the Torah. Why? Because it's a counter. It's a protest against Egypt and against that empire. Because it may start off financial, you know, uh, wealth and, and military strength might start off as a defense right, against outside nations. But it's going to soon turn into an offense against your own people, a way of control of your own people. And we find what happens under Solomon. We find this exact thing that happens that the Torah says they are not to do. It happens. And what does Solomon do in order to build the first temple? He takes slaves of his own people. I mean, we don't like to call them slaves, but they're, they're basically slaves of his own people, the Israelites, and forces them and puts them to work building, quarrying stone and, and cutting timbers and hauling lumber, all this stuff to build the, the temple. Now contrast that against the way the tabernacle was constructed in the desert, and you'll find some really interesting and, and for me disturbing contrasts against, uh, uh, between which the tabernacle was built and the temple, the first temple was built. Because Solomon is becoming Egypt, he's becoming empire, and Israel, by and large, is becoming empire. It's fascinating. So this reason for the commands is all about, remember you were slaves, remember what it's like, remember the soul of a slave and what it's like to be that day, uh, to be that person. 
you know, in Israel under the Torah, this this idea of what it felt like to live in a society where, you know, where things were real top heavy and top down and, and all of that. In light of them remembering what it is to live in that, we have the Sabbath commandment, right? In a in a in a in an empire where slaves work continuously because their value is based on how much they produce, and when you stop being productive, then you lose your value, and thus you become. If you don't lose your life, then you just be you become uh, you know a, a, a homeless whatever. Um, you become hungry, you you starve to death, you lose your value if you can't produce. And it's against that backdrop that we're given the Sabbath, where even slaves, um, and I'm thinking of Parshat Mishpatim, Exodus 21, even slaves enjoy the Sabbath in Israel. Even those indebted enjoy time to be set free in the, in the Yovel. Even someone who sells, has to sell their ancestral homeland, has an opportunity to redeem that at some point. This is completely counter to where they came from. Um, Deuteronomy ten nineteen, and you shall love the stranger for you yourselves were strangers, right? Just this reminder that, hey, you guys know what it feels like. And don't forget that feeling because this is what I'm calling you to create something different. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, 17 to 18, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice. Or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. Again, the all these commandments. And this can be such a hard thing for a lot of us, a lot of you that are hearing my voice, because frankly, we are spoiled. Our blessings have spoiled us. Now, I know that some of you listening, you might not have had an easy life. You might not have had it all ideal. You might have um, had situations that, that forced you to make choices that you otherwise would not have or that you didn't want to make at the time. And those choices may have brought consequences that you may or may not still be dealing with. And, and there's a whole load and a host of, of variants in what I'm talking about. I don't want to just paint it with a broad brush and make a blank statement, but a blanket statement, but this uh, generally by and large as Americans, we have, um, we have had it easy and it makes it really hard for us to, to understand some of these concepts. It is so easy for us to judge, um, an addict, for instance, it's so easy for us to judge an addict um, who can't seem to overcome a drug addiction. It's easy for us to look at them and say, well, if you'd have made better decisions. It's easy for us to look at them and say, well, you know, if you just stop. Or, you know, how could you, you know, you have the whole world in front of you. It's so easy for us to judge. It, it's so easy for us to judge someone who is in prison and say, well, you know, you did the crime, you do the time. And just if not to judge, just to be really cold, right? Just to be really cold towards uh, people who are down on their luck or are just are have a, made a series of bad decisions. And again, this is not a blanket statement. There are some bad people in this world that there's just something fundamentally different about the way they think about life and about humans and about you know reality. There, there is that. 
However, you find some of the greatest ministries, some of the greatest organizations have been founded by people who have been through those very things, right? I think back to when I was a young kid, my, my mom was real involved in uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving um, because we had family members that had died because of drunk driving. And being put through that puts you in a unique and powerful place to be able to create the opposite reality. And that's exactly what Israel is being told by Shem is remember what it was like and don't ever forget, don't ever forget that you were there. And, and to me, this maybe the stinkiest thing in the nostrils of God is when we as, you know, born again, believers, whatever, saved, redeemed, you know, however you label yourself is when we look down at sinners, at, at what we call sinners as people, at people who are not in church people who don't, you know, who don't confess Yeshua, um, when we look at those people who we would call sinners are lost, and we we have a disdain or a coldness or a judgment towards them, people that are running the bars, people that have been divorced several times, people that, you know, all these things. And what we need to refrain, we need to hear is treat them the way you want to be treated because you were once them. And the Kanishah, the, the Second Testament of Apostolic Scriptures, has these same refrains in them. You were once them, so treat them well. Treat them like you should have been treated. Treat them like you would have wanted to be treated if somebody would have been around to do that. This is the same idea as the Exodus. I want you, Hashem is saying, I want you, Israel, to create a new reality a different type of society, a protest against empire and against Pharaoh and against Egypt. And the the motivation for that is remember you were there. Remember what it was like to be there. Don't ever subjugate someone. Don't ever be guilty of subjugating someone to what you lived through as a slave in Egypt, right? We do this in the Torah movement as well. I'm sorry, I was going to move on, but I can't. I can't help it. We do this in the Torah movement as well. To, to my dismay and disdain, and I did it. I did it. That's why I can talk about it. I did it. We dishonor and we shame people in our families and people in our lives that raised us in the faith, in some faith, and we shame and we guilt and we dishonor them because now we celebrate the Sabbath and they're still worshiping that old pagan Sunday church. You see, and what we don't, what we're deaf to is the refrain that you were once slaves in Egypt. You do treat people better because you were once like them. That's the whole reason. The reason that we've been shown the Torah is not so that we can feel better about ourselves or we can pat ourselves on the back or we can be closer to Hashem or we can, you know, we finally know the truth. Maybe the reason that we've been shown the Torah is that so is, is so we will treat them better. The reason God gave the commands, the reason for the Torah he says over and over and over in all these passages, and you can look up more in, in, in your own time, is remember you were once slaves in Egypt. 
And we forget that our own selves were sitting on those Sunday church pews. Our own selves were celebrating, you know, holidays that were not in Scripture. Our own selves were eating stuff that we were forbidden to eat. Our own selves were treating people the way that the Torah forbids us to treat them. And, and so now we have some things corrected, maybe, and yet we're still judging other people because they're not where we are. And that is the opposite of the motivation of the Torah. The reason for the Torah is because you were slaves in Egypt. So therefore, treat people differently. Do life differently. Create something different. Are we doing that? Or are we using the Torah as a weapon against people saying, you know, you should do this and you should do that and you're not going to heaven, you're, you know, you're not pleasing God because of this or that and all the other toxic stuff that we say. This is the reason Israel was supposed to create a different society, a protest against Egypt. Number one, because they had to live it in order to know what not to be. And as I said, I, some of you have, you know, we talk about parents and bosses and mentors and whatever. But there's a good chance that you are today because of someone in your life that you didn't want to be like. The challenge is not inevitably turning into that person. And secondly, this constant motivating refrain that we are to be better and to do better and to create. We are to protest against what we used to be and how we used to live by doing the opposite to people that are still there, that are still living that way, that are still trapped in those same living in, uh, environments and, and, and instances. That wraps up this week's show. We're going to continue this conversation next week. Have a great rest of the week, and Shabbat Shalom. Until next week, Shalom Shalom. Shalom. 